This is my first trip to uh, our family's first trip to Australia, and uh, hopefully not our last. We have had a great time, and we have found uh, we have found just the country to be amazing. We've uh, enjoyed everything about it. We've enjoyed the food. Somebody say amen. amen. We've enjoyed uh, we've enjoyed the beauty and the scenery, but. I think the most important thing, we've enjoyed God's people here. And uh, there's just a warmth and uh, a fervency and a love for Christ. And uh, I'm just so thankful to be a part of uh, the True North Summit this year. And uh, I want to thank all the delegates that uh, were there this week and you were faithful and had a good spirit and let the Lord speak to your heart. I want to thank uh, Southland Baptist Church for investing in this conference and giving toward it and having a vision to invest in your young adults. Uh, I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. In fact, now I am my dad's pastor. My dad, my dad started a church in Colorado when I was two. And uh, we started a church there. Dad pastored that church for 35 years. And uh, the Lord let me go to Mississippi and uh, I took a church there. And our family's been there for 12 years, and uh, several years ago, my dad uh, resigned his church in Colorado. My brother, who's seven years older than me, he's the pastor of that church, and uh, mom and dad moved to Mississippi, and so now I'm their pastor, and that is, that is great. I get to tell them, hey, no talking over there, sit up straight. <laughs> Hey, you two over there, no holding hands. Boys and girls don't hold hands in church. And so I get to, I get to have a great time with mom and dad. And, um, and so, and I'll see dad sometimes. He'll kind of look at me. He, gets, he still gets that pastor look on his face. He'll look at me sometimes and think, that's not really the way you should do it. And I have to just tell him, hey, I'm the pastor. I'm the pastor. If you have any complaints, you go see the deacons. And so... Uh, but it's just a great, it's just a great time uh, that uh, the Lord's let us have to serve him. And uh, I'm thankful for uh, my family. You, you uh, bear with me tonight. I've been battling some kind of a cough and cold since I, I guess going from summer to winter uh, in a very uh, short time has given me a little bit of a cold. I don't think I'm contagious. Uh, nobody else around me has caught it yet. So I think we're okay. Now, I'll probably leave, and the entire church will be sick and say, man, Pastor Mello had a huge impact on our church. <laughs> it was a blessing. So what did you get from Pastor Mello when he was here? Pneumonia. That's what I got. Uh, four, four weeks in hospital and seven rounds of antibiotics. That's what I got when Pastor Mello came. He changed my life. So... But uh, I'm just so thankful that I could be here tonight and uh, thank the Lord for Pastor Hernan. Uh, I got to meet him back in, uh, in March in the Philippines. And uh, the Lord just kind of immediately just knit our hearts, at least mine, to his. And uh, just a very kindred spirit. He loves the Lord, has a great vision and passion for this church. And you don't have to talk to him very long to realize that God has knitted his heart, given him a great vision for this church. And he and his family are such a special family. And then, uh, Brother Naranjan and his family, I went to uh, West Coast Baptist College 
several years ago to preach in chapel. I had never been there before. And so um, I had never been on campus. I got there, and, and they showed me to my room. And uh, at the time, I was doing a lot of exercise and uh, just trying to keep in shape. And, uh, and then I realized one day, when you're this good looking, you don't need to do all that work. <laughs> so I quit all that nonsense and just uh, went back to eating or whatever. But in those days, a few years ago, I was doing a lot of exercise. And so I got to the college, and, and uh, I got in my room, and it was kind of getting late in the evening. And I thought, man, I need to find a place to go exercise. And so I started looking around the campus. I didn't know where the exercise room was. And so I walked into a room. And there were all these college-age kids with, like, muscles on top of their muscles. And they're, like, pulling themselves up on these chin-up bars and lifting weights. And I walked into that, well, I'm not going to that room. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, Soren, is that when we met each other? And um, this... <laughs> no, 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 listen. No, no. You, you, you had him in the wrong room. He was not in the muscle room. I saw Soren in the other room and said, I'm going in that room. <laughs> so <coughs> so I, went into, I went into that room with Soren, and now uh, I felt better about myself. But uh, I got to meet Soren, and we sat out on the, uh, on the little place out there by the coffee shop, and we just talked and fellowshiped, and uh, man, I just enjoyed his spirit, and uh, got to meet, got to meet Soren, and I think, uh, I can't remember if Jeremy was there that night, I think Jeremy, uh, Yosef, Yusuf, or whatever, how you ever say his name, uh, Jeremy was there, and uh, we got to talking, and just through that, um, uh, the Lord, the Lord allowed me to meet these guys, and what a great testimony they were for your church and for what God's doing here and for their parents. And I, w I walked away that night, went back to my room, just having fellowship with these guys for a couple hours. I guess it was a couple hours, I think, Soren. I just walked away and I said, you know, those are, those are godly young men. They've got, they come from strong churches and they have godly parents. And uh, that's a blessing. And so that was kind of my introduction to, um, to Australia. Brother, thank you. Did you put that other stuff that I told you to put? <laughs> Amen. That's what I mean. I love Australia. <laughs> They're putting all kinds of stuff in there. Anyway, but uh, just, uh, it's just been a joy to get to know uh, Soren, and then the Lord allowed me to get to meet Brother Naranjan. And... Uh, and, and I mean this, I don't, I don't mean to say this publicly and embarrass anybody or give anybody undue glory, but when I met Brother Naranjan, I think it was in 2016, we were at the Spiritual Leadership Conference Asia, we were in Manila, and I was just kind of in the background with all the preachers, just watching him organize and orchestrate and just listen to him talk and instruct the pastors and, and saw his heart for the Lord, and, um, and then realized you know, Brother Naranjan's a layman in the church. And, um, and, and just, I saw somebody that just looked like the Savior. And uh, it's just been a joy to get to know uh, folks from this church. But uh, look in your Bible tonight to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. 
I know you had Brother Skelly here today. Uh, he was here this morning, so I figured I better try to preach the Bible tonight. At least you'll get one Bible message. Uh, at least you'll get one Bible message today. Uh, but uh, I love Pastor Skelly, and the Lord, uh, the Lord has allowed us to, uh, uh, to cross paths. We, Brother Skelly and I, in the States, we had never met each other. I had heard of him a long time ago. He's been one of my favorite preachers. I'd heard him preach on podcast and uh, on, uh, online. And uh, I'd heard of him many, many times, and, but I'd never met him. And uh, I, began to, uh, I began to be used in different conferences and things. And it was kind of like we, we followed each other around. I would be at different, uh, a youth conference, maybe a year after he was there or whatever. And, and it just, I, I thought, man, I've got to meet this guy. Because every time I would walk into a conference, people would say, hey, Pastor Skelly's here. And they thought I was Pastor Skelly. And it was so awkward. I had never met him before. And I couldn't figure out why people were calling me Pastor Skelly. And, uh, and, so, and so one day, uh, one day I met him, we, we were preaching at the same conference together, and he walked through the door, and I looked at him, and I thought, how in the world could people confuse me for that? <laughs> we were standing next to each other. We were standing right next to each other. And a, a young lady walks right up to him, and she's like, Pastor Miller? She said, can I get you to sign my Bible? And he's signing my Bible. <laughs> he's signing my name in her Bible. And a lady walked up to me, a girl walked up to me, and she's like, Pastor Skelly, can you sign my Bible? And I said, yes, I can. <laughs> so I signed KS, Job 17.1. Now, if you don't know what Job 17.1 says, it says, my breath is corrupt. <laughs> my days are extinct. And the grave is waiting for me. <laughs> and so now, for the last couple of years, people have asked me, Brother Skelly, can you sign my Bible? Yes. <laughs> and I've been wondering why people are praying for Pastor Skelly. People think that he's got some kind of disease or something. It's kind of made its way around the country. Pastor Skelly's been signing everybody's Bible about he's going to die, you know. <laughs> and um, so it's been a blessing to get to know him, and we've had a great time together. And... Uh, uh, sometimes <laughs> we, um, sometimes just being around him is uh, exhausting because he never, he's, you know, he never settles down. And he's like a kid with ADHD or whatever, you know. And he's always, he's just always bouncing. His eyes are kind of, if you look real close when you're talking to him, he's got his head like this. And if you look real close, he's got to hold his head like this because his eyes are doing that. So, but I love him. I love him in the Lord. And boy, I tell you, whatever's in that is great. I appreciate that. Um, it's uh, great to have, you know, my family here with me in Australia. And um, it was a joy to get to hear my girls sing tonight. They don't ever get to, they don't, they rarely get to do that together in our church. Deanna's in college and Brianna and Juju are at home. And uh, I call her Juju. We have to do that because it's Deanna, Brianna, Juliana. They all sound so alike. We had to give them a nickname. Somebody asked me one time, what are you going to do if you have a son? And I said, well, I'm going to call him Santa Anna. <laughs> so I have Deanna, Brianna, Juliana, and Santa Anna. But uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, 
1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to read a few verses here, and then uh, I'll give you a, a brief message and encourage your heart, and then we'll leave and uh, we'll go home, get a good night's rest and ready for the week. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves, that's a military term, arm yourselves. Likewise, with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time. Now I want you to mark that. Think about that phrase right there. The rest of his time. You only have so much time left. And God is saying here, I want you to live the rest of your time. Think about, think about what you have left. You and I may only have uh, just a few days left before Jesus comes. But he said, I want you to live the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer to the lust of men, but to the will of God. And may I say tonight to Southland Baptist Church, I don't know how much longer we have in this world but it ought to be the heart cry of every believer in this room that we live the rest of our time, not to the lust of the flesh, but to the will of God. It ought to be the heart's desire for all of us to say, I don't know how much longer I have. I don't know how much longer this world will stand. I don't know what my time frame is, but I'm going to live the rest of my time to the will of God. Look with me, if you will, please, in verse number in verse number seven, the Bible says, but the end of all things is at hand. And he said, I don't know how much time you have, but I do want you to know this. The end is right here. Now, he wrote this 2,000 years ago. How many of you would think, uh, how many of you would know that if he wrote it 2,000 years ago, that the end of all things is at hand, how many of you believe that we're right at the end of all things? Yes. And so here's what I want to challenge you with tonight. I want to challenge you with a lifestyle for the last days. What should our lifestyle be for the last days? How should we be living knowing that the end of all things is at hand? I, I'm going to ask the Lord tonight to put on our heart just a few words and uh, to, that he'll take this passage of scripture and put it in our heart and that Southland Baptist Church will have a fervency in this church. That we'd be living a lifestyle for the last days. Father, I pray tonight that you'll speak to every one of us. I thank you for the faithfulness of this church to be out on a Sunday night. The world may think it foolish that we would gather together like this. And yet, Lord, here we are. And in this foolishness of preaching and gathering, something great and supernatural takes place. The very God of heaven will visit with us tonight. Lord, we invite you into this place. We open our ears to hear what the Spirit saith to this church. In Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 2, and verse 17, the Bible says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Now let me ask you a question. Has the Holy Spirit been poured out into this world today? Yes or no? Yes. So when that began, when the Holy Spirit was given in Acts chapter 2, poured out, 
When the Holy Spirit was given, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will go. And when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. And the Bible says that began the last days. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, uh, Paul said, all things happened unto them as examples for us upon whom the end of the world are come. He said everything in the Old Testament happened as an example to those of us upon whom the end of the world has come. Paul was saying even back then that he was living in the end of the world. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 2, the Bible says God hath spoken unto us in these last days by His Son. Now listen, if Jesus can come at any minute, then every one of us, every one of us are living in the last days. The end is at hand. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul said the Lord is at hand. He's just right here. The Lord is at hand. In James chapter 5 and verse number 9, it says the judge standeth at the door. I remember years ago, I, uh, I got pulled over for a, a, parking or for a, a driving violation. Well, I didn't get pulled over. Let me, let me rephrase that. I didn't get pulled over. I was a brand new driver. And in the States, we don't have a provisional, okay? We have a learner's permit, and then you go right into driving. And I had just, I had just received my driver's license. I was driving my mom's car. I was 16. I was at a stoplight, and in front of me was a big hill. Coming down the road was a uh, big, giant, pump and ladder uh, fire truck. And he came down the road with his lights on, sirens blowing, and he made a turn in front of me. Well, then my light turned green, and I began to go. Well, man, this guy's going up the hill, and he's going very, very slow. And I was a young driver, and I thought, I'm going to go around him. And so I just started to pass him. Well, as I started to pass the fire truck, he blasted his horn at me. One of the firemen in the side of the truck was shaking his fist at me. I thought, well, that's not good. So I just turned off real quick on a side road and drove on and went on to school or went on to home. And the next day I was in the school gymnasium and we were getting ready for basketball practice and I looked up and there was a police officer standing over there. And the police officer was talking to my coach. And the coach was pointing at me. And I'm looking around. There was nobody behind me. He's pointing at me. Police officer walks over to me. He said, uh, do you drive a Pontiac 6000 LE? And I said, that's my mom's car. <laughs> he said, yes, but we know it was you driving. You need to come with me. And he gave me a ticket. And it was a big ticket. And so he said, you have a court date set for this day. Oh, I was nervous. But can I tell you what happened? I forgot the court date. I didn't show up. And so I got a, I got a letter in the mail that said, Dear Dean Miller, they even said, dear. <laughs> dear Dean Miller, you have a bench warrant out for your arrest. 
You need to contact. Oh, mercy. I thought, I I'm too young to go to jail. I called the court. They told me, they said, listen, uh, we will schedule you for another day, but you must appear. I got there, and I was scared to death. I was sitting over here, and the judge's desk was up there, and there was a door over there. And let me tell you, my heart was just pounding. I was so nervous. And then I saw all this activity taking place in the court. People were getting ready. And under that door, I could see shadows. And uh, just a moment, there was some shadows under that door, and my heart started skipping beats. And then the police officer, the bailiff, stood up and said, all rise. And we all rose. And he said, his honorable. And then the judge came through the door. And then all blood left my head. Can I tell you something? We're in the last days, and if you look carefully, you can see the shadows. There are some indications that Jesus, the judge, is at the door. He's about to come through the door. Before he does, we're going to hear a shout, all rise. And we're going to go to meet him. Amen. The end is at hand. The end is at hand. Look what the text says here in the Bible in verse number 7. The Bible says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Let me put a couple of things on your heart. How should we be living in these last days? Number one, we should be looking for his coming. You know, I'm so... I'm so um, uh, discouraged oftentimes when I talk to Christians and so few Christians are looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. We forget that he's coming. The Bible says to be sober. The word sober means to be in your right mind. And we are to be in our right mind. The world is losing its mind and the Christian ought to be in his right mind. We ought not to be on pins and needles like the world. We ought not to be worried like the world. We ought not to be fretting and stressed and discouraged and depressed. The Christian ought to have a sober mind. We ought to be able to look at this world and not see what the world sees in chaos. We ought to realize that Jesus is coming again. Most people in the world will say, wow, what is the world coming to? The Christian ought to say, it's coming to Jesus. That's what it's coming to. One of these days, the world is coming to Jesus and will fall at his feet. The Christian needs to be serious about the fact that Jesus is coming. We ought to have a sober mind that Jesus is coming. You ought to get up every day and remind yourself, today could be the day that Jesus comes again. Oh, listen, friend, if we would live with our mind focused on the coming of Christ, that he could come before this service is over, it would put in perspective all the things of our life. Our suffering would be put in perspective. Our trials would be put in perspective. Perspective. All the deals that we're, that we're dealing with this week, everything will be put in proper perspective if we get our mind on the fact that Jesus is coming again. We're to watch. We're to watch. Look at what the Bible says in verse 7. Be ye uh, sober and watch unto prayer. We're to watch. The word watch means we are to be looking. We're to be looking and expecting. Hey, are you expecting Jesus to come? Are you ready for him to come? The Bible says the Christian ought to be looking for it. Not only that, not only that, not only should we look for it, but look, look at this second thing. We ought to long for his coming. We ought to long for his coming. Uh, the Bible says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now you see that prayer right there? 
That prayer is an earnest asking of the Lord to come. We ought to be watching unto prayer. There ought to be a longing in our heart that as we pray to him now, one of these days I'm praying now in the closet, but one of these days I'll pray face to face. I'll see him face to face. There ought to be a longing. There ought to be a longing. I remember years ago, my wife and I, we dated long distance. She was at college in one state, and I was at a college in another state, and we were long distance, and we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have FaceTime. We had to write letters. And so every once in a while, we could get on a phone call, and we'd make a long distance phone call. But let me tell you something. Long distance phone calls cost a lot of money. And so we could only talk for a few minutes. And I remember writing letters. I, I wrote a letter one time, and on the envelope of that letter, I drew a picture of a mailbox. And I drew a picture of, of, a, of a young boy, and he was putting this big letter into the mailbox that was on the, that was on the front of the envelope. And I wrote a little, little note in there and said, I wish I could come with it. I had a longing to see her. I had a longing to see her. I wrote letters. We talked on the phone. But I wanted to sit face to face and see her look in her eyes and to smell the perfume and to hear her voice in person. Hey, I want to tell you as a Christian, I want to tell you as a Christian, we ought to be living with a longing in our heart to see Jesus. Watching under prayer. May I tell you something tonight, church? I believe that many Christians aren't longing for the coming of Christ because we're not praying for his coming. We're not praying for his coming. This is a prayer that Peter is telling us now. He said, I want you to watch in a prayer. This is a prayer that is hastening the coming of Christ. Say, what do you mean? Uh, it's a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray when he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It was the prayer that John prayed in Revelation 22 as he closed the book and he was putting down his pen and he just cried out, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. It is that prayer. Look over very quickly. You're in 1 Peter. Look at 2 Peter and look at chapter 3 and verse number 12. Looking for, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. How the Christian ought to be hastening the day of God. We ought to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We ought to be praying for the coming of Christ's kingdom. We ought to be praying for the return of Christ. Even so come Lord Jesus. Christian ought to be praying. We ought to be longing for it. Let me give you another word quickly. Not only should we be looking for his coming, and not only should we be longing for his coming, but let me tell you this. We should be, we should be loving at his coming. Look back in 1 Peter chapter 4 and look at verse number 8. Here's the lifestyle that the Christian should live. Our life ought to be longing for and looking for the coming of Christ. But while we're longing for the, love, the coming of Christ, we ought to have a love in our heart. Look at verse 8. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. A fervent charity among yourselves. You know one of the signs of a church that is expecting the coming of Christ? That church is fervently in love with one another. You know, when we gather together like this, we came on Sunday night. We came from all different parts of this city. We all gathered together like this, and we came to meet with Jesus, didn't we? This is just a dress rehearsal for that day when Jesus comes, and we're all gathered together to meet Christ in the air. 
This is just a, a gathering together. This is a dress rehearsal of what the rapture is going to be like. And when we come together and we walk through those doors, there ought to be a love in our heart for each other, an encouraging word in our heart. And we ought to exhort one another. The Bible says we ought to be fervently in love with each other. By the way, listen, that word love, right, that word charity there is the word agape. That is the love that God loves with. We ought to be loving each other the way God loves us. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 12. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You know, the last days of this world are marked by two great things, lawlessness and lovelessness. You look at the world today, lawless and loveless. Just walk down the streets of Sydney. Look in the faces of people that you sit with on the train. No love. Broken marriages, broken homes, broken families. They're just out trying to grind through the day-to-day -day life, just trying to make a living. One more day to survive. No love. No love. And can I tell you tonight, church, love is the important thing of the church. Why is love so important? I'll tell you why. First of all, because love is the greatest virtue. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest virtue. But not only that, it's the greatest commandment. Hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. What is the greatest virtue? Love. What is the greatest commandment? Love. By the way, what is the greatest testimony of the church? Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know ye are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. Years ago in the great city of Chicago, there was a great preacher named D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody had a great church. And uh, there was a little boy one day, he was running down the streets of Chicago. And he ran past on a Sunday morning, he ran past a group of men. And they said, son... Where are you going in such a hurry? He said, I'm going to Moody Church. And they said, why are you going to go way over there? There's a church right here. Just go to that church. Why are you going to Moody Church? That little boy said, because they know how to love a fellow over there. You know, there ought to be people who walk in these doors and say, I'm going to Southland because they know how to love a fellow over there. You know what ought to set this church apart? You know what ought to set this church apart? from everything that's going on in this world is that people see other people fervently in love with one another, bearing each other's burdens, encouraging each other, praying for each other, picking each other up, loving one another as Jesus Christ has loved us, a fervent charity among yourselves. Why is love, why is love so important? It's the greatest virtue. It's the greatest commandment. It's the greatest testimony. But not only, listen very carefully, it is also the greatest motivation. For the love of Christ constraineth me. Well, I tell you, people will do a lot of things for money. But I'll tell you something, nobody will do as much for love. You take a mama who loves her kids, she'll lay her life down for those children. Love, love. Now, I want to say something. This kind of love, church, this kind of love will cost you. It'll cost you. It's called fervent love. The word fervent means to stretch, 
or to boil over. How many of you in here are like me and you're a coffee lover? Anybody in here a coffee lover? All right, man, I tell you what, I love a long black. I couldn't wait to order one. That was the first thing I did. I got in a coffee shop and I said, I'll have a long black. We don't have long blacks in America. I want a long black. It just felt so good to say that. And man, the coffee's been good. But I'll tell you what, if you, if you ever get a latte and you get a cappuccino and you have that steamed milk and froth milk, I'll tell you what the technical term of that is. It's called stretching the milk. When you put the heat in there, as that milk begins to heat, uh, it doesn't just do what water does and boils. Milk expands. The enzymes in the milk begin to stretch. A fervent love in a church causes you to be stretched. It causes you to boil over. There's a cost in this. The Bible says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, this kind of love, if a church is going to have the right kind of love in the last days, it's going to cost you something. Don't think that you can be the kind of Christian that's going to have this kind of love and you can just slip in and slip out. Oh, no. It's going to cost you something. It costs Jesus everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He was stretched. He was stretched. But not only that, this love not only costs, but listen, church, this kind of love covers. It covers you say, what do you mean, Brother Miller, by covering? Look at verse number 8. And you shall have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of your sins. You say, what do you mean by that? It covers. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covereth all sin. Can I tell you something, church? The Bible's not teaching us here that we ought, to, we ought to sweep sin under the rug. Oh, no, God said that if a man covers his sin, he won't prosper. We're not talking about covering sin in a way where we let things go on that shouldn't go on in the church. But let me just tell you, some Christians love to find fault with others. They come to church, they learn to pick the scabs. And look for the hurts in other people's lives. They never let it go. But love covers. True love covers. Let me tell you this. If this is going to be the kind of church that Jesus established and the kind of church that Jesus wants, it's going to be a church filled with sinners. It's going to be a church where people come in these doors and they're going to come from broken lives and broken homes. And they're going to come in with scars and wounds. And the love of Christ covers. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It doesn't condone sin. It doesn't condone it, but it covers it. Let me tell you quickly what it means. You remember back when Noah came off the ark? The Bible says that Noah became a husbandman, and one day Noah began to drink some of the wine from his vineyards, and Noah became drunk. You remember that? And there this great man, Noah, that God delivered the world through. This great man, Noah, is now laying in his tent in a drunken stupor, uncovered in his shame. And his son, Ham, comes by and sees his father in the tent. And the Bible said he ran to tell his brothers, and he mocked his father. When Ham and, or when Shem and Japheth heard the word, 
that their father was in shame and uncovered in his nakedness. What did they do? The Bible says they took a blanket, they put it on their shoulders, and they went in backwards, and they covered him. Can I tell you, church, what's going to happen sometimes? Somebody you love in this church is going to slip and fall. The church ought not to run out and expose it and post it on Facebook and social media and sit down in groups and talk about that person. Oh, no. We had to run to them and say, how can we get this right? How can we make this right? How can we recover your testimony? If ye, which are spiritual, restore such an one. If anyone be overtaken in a fault, ye, which are spiritual, restore such an one. In a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. This love covers. I wrote this down some time ago. Somebody said this. And I wrote this down, and I want this to be my prayer. Lord, let me be a little kinder. Let me be a little blinder to the faults of those around me. And let me praise others more. Oh, can I tell you something, church? (laughs) Hey, hey. If you want to come to Southland Baptist Church and find fault, you can find it. But if you want to find Jesus here, you can find him too. It's what you're looking for. It's what, just what you're looking for. Let me give this to you quickly. This love not only costs and this love covers, but look at verse 9. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. This kind of love, church, it cares. It cares. It opens the doors of our hearts and our homes to give to the, to the necessity of the saints. It's a hospitable love. Let me ask you, what have you done for somebody lately? What have you done for the widow, for the fatherless? How have you gone out of your way to show love and compassion and hospitality to somebody else in the church? Now, can I tell you, church, Don't ever get a loveless truth. This church ought to stand for truth, but it ought to stand for truth in love. I've met some churches before where that church was so straight on the truth and they were so mad about it. They hated everybody. All they could do is find everybody else's fault because nobody could measure up. Now you listen, don't ever have a loveless truth. Don't ever have a truthless love either. There are some, boy, they love, there's some churches that love everybody. If the devil came in, they'd love him too. Everything goes. Oh, no, this church ought to stand for truth, but truth in love. This love cares. Now, here's the last thing. We finally found it. Look at verse 10. What's our lifestyle for the last days? As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What's he saying? He said, look, we ought to be looking for his coming. We ought to be longing for his coming. We ought to be loving when he comes. And we should be laboring when he comes. God has given you a gift in this church, and you ought to be doing everything you can to steward that gift and be a gift to this church. Every one of God's children are gifted children. 
You know that God's given you something to do? And you ought to be a good steward of that and do it. You say, well, I, I can't sing. It may, you may not be able to sing. You can stand at that door and shake somebody's hand when they come in and smile. And so you ought to do it with the best of your ability. I don't know what God's given you. It's a spiritual gift. You need to pray about it and say, God, use me. Use me in this church. Use me. I'd be laboring. I'd be laboring. I don't know how long we have. We ought to be working. So many Christians are just sitting down waiting for Jesus to come. Lord, come rescue us. Oh, no. We ought to be working till Jesus comes. Listen, many Christians, you start talking about Jesus coming, and they get their head way up there in the clouds of prophecy. Jesus doesn't want your head in the clouds of prophecy. I was talking to a man this week, and he began to tell me when Jesus was going to come. He was trying to give me a date. And we were going through all this stuff in the Bible, and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No man knows the day or the hour. Now, let me tell you this. There are so many mysteries in this book. We could, we could take time to figure it all out. Man, we can't figure it all out. And God doesn't want us in the, our head in the, cl- in the clouds of prophecy. There are some churches, they get together, and they talk about the Antichrist. And they talk about what he's going to be and where he's going to come from and what he's going to look like. Well, I want to tell you something, friend. I'm not looking for an Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. Now listen to me very carefully. God doesn't want your head in the clouds of prophecy. He wants your feet on the sidewalks of soul winning. Prophecy ought to cause us to labor. Years ago, the Americans shot some people up to space. They went up and walked on the moon. I was in a conference one day at the Reagan Presidential Library, and one of those men was there. His name was Buzz Aldrin. I didn't even know he was going to be there that day. I'd taken my staff to the presidential library there in in California, and we were walking in that place, and they said, hey, Buzz Aldrin's going to be here today. He's going to be making a speech downstairs. We made our way down, and we got some seats down there. I thought, this is going to be great. Buzz Aldrin, a man who walked on the moon, I'm going to get to hear him speak. And so we got our seats, and I told, I told my staff, I said, guys, hang on to my seat. I'm going to go find the men's room. And so I'm looking for the men's room. I see two doors over here. I push the door open. When I walk through the door, I ran right into Buzz Aldrin. And you know what I said? I said, oh, Mr. Lightyear. I'm like, oh, Mr. Lightyear. And this big, huge security guard said, you can't be here. I so offended him. I didn't even mean to. I I walked out of there, and I thought, I just called him Buzz Lightyear. (laughs) To infinity and beyond. (laughs) Buzz, don't you remember? It's me, Woody. (laughs) Woody's roundup. Oh, I was so embarrassed. He came out on the stage. (laughs) I'm back there, kind of. <laughs> he made his speech, and they were asking some questions. And Buzz Aldrin, Buzz Aldrin was talking about the the rover that came down and landed on the moon. And they said, you know, what were your concerns? And he said, well, our big concern was we had a rocket on that. We had one rocket. And after our time on there, we were to get back on that little shuttle, and we were going to rocket back off the moon. He said, that rocket, that rocket had to fire. And somebody said, well, what would have happened if the rocket hadn't have fired? How long would you guys survive? He said, six 
hours. We had six hours. And somebody said, what would you have done if that rocket hadn't fired? He said, for six hours, we'd be working on the rocket. <laughs> for six hours, we'd be working on the rocket. And I want to say to you tonight, church, I don't know how much time we have left I don't know how much time we have left, but for these last six hours, we better be working on the rocket. We better be laboring to win souls for Jesus Christ, keeping our focus on the main thing and working on the main thing and doing what Jesus has called us to do. Let's live the lifestyle for the last days. Let's love one another. Let's look for his coming. and Let's go labor for Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you tonight for the spirit that is in this church. I thank you for the joy of knowing that you're coming again one of these days, soon and very soon, to be with us. Lord, we're going to hear the trumpet sound and we're going to rise to meet you in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Oh, what rejoicing that'll be. But Lord, until then, may we be laboring, occupying till Jesus comes. Our heads about our eyes are closed. I'm not going to give an invitation lengthy tonight. I want to ask two questions. One. If there's anyone here tonight that does not know Jesus as a personal Savior, say, Pastor Noah, if Jesus came tonight, I'm not sure that I would go to meet him. I don't know that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand way up high? Maybe you've come tonight and you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior. He may come tonight. You'd be left behind. You say, pray for me. Would you slip your hand way up high? Who's here tonight would say, Pastor Miller, there's some things God spoke to my heart about that in these last days I need to have the right lifestyle. And God pinpointed in my life at least one thing that I need to be doing. I need to get some things right in that one area before Jesus comes. Would you slip your hand way up high? Would you slip your hand way up high? I need to have the right heart, the right attitude, the right life before Jesus comes. God bless you. God bless you. Let's stand quietly to our feet. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If pastor wants to give an invitation, he may. But Father, I pray right now that you'll speak to every heart. And that, Lord, we would, we would listen to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and may we be ready when you come. And Jesus, even so, come quickly. In Jesus' name we pray. Banner plays, and um, maybe you raise your hand tonight. Why don't you come and do business with the Lord? And it's so important that we would use the last days and that we would just live the right lifestyle. And if you raise your hand, I want to invite you to come uh, this evening, you know, this week. Uh, we made uh, we made some major decisions. Many of us. Why don't we reinforce some uh, tonight? Hey, how are you? How's your looking tonight? Hey, church, how's your looking tonight? Uh, have you been longing for your Savior? You know, so many times we get so distracted with uh, the cares of our present world that we stop looking and longing for our Savior. How's your loving? How's your loving of one another? How's your uh, loving uh, in your relationships in the church and with one another, how's our laboring? Uh, are you working diligently? Are you occupying till he comes? I want to invite you to come um, as a piano plays right here at this altar to, to just uh, spend some time with the Lord. And again, church, you know, we're just family tonight. Um, we want to get some things, if the Lord's laid it on our hearts, to let's just get some things right tonight. And let's, let's live that lifestyle that will please the Lord until he returns.